0: It's great to see everybody tonight. We, we have been in this series of study this week, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't always preach series when it, when it comes to gospel meeting work. Sometimes it's a little easier um, when you can kind of spread out a little bit and you can cover various types of topics and, and, and that kind of thing, and, and it makes it a little easier sometimes to do it that way. And, and sometimes when you're a series... What you find is is that you preach some things in lesson two that you meant to preach in lesson five, and, and, and then now you're crowded in terms of that. So I've switched this night up a little bit um, in the series because I've really spent a lot of time, more time than I really intended in some ways, on the physical family this week. And so I'm going to try to put that aside a little bit tonight. And not that that's not important, but just I, I feel like I need to move from that a little bit and maybe have some different kinds of applications and so really tonight as we talk about our series of a more excellent way based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31 we've actually arrived at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because that's the definition of what he means there in verse 31 of chapter 12 and we're actually to verse 7 where he says that love beareth all things believeth all things hopeth all things endureth all all things, And I try to figure out, well, what, are the, what do those things have in common with one another? And ultimately, I came to the conclusion they are all supportive kind of words. They are all intended to try to let us understand that love is supposed to be supportive and encouraging. It's supposed to be hopeful. It's supposed to endure and bear with the challenges and difficulties that one another face and we're to lift one another up through that love. And then I thought, well, what's the epitome of that? What's, the, what's a picture maybe within Scripture that we might be able to examine that would show me exactly what supportive kind of love is? And I found myself then, as I thought about that, to actually expand upon what was just a small part of this lesson originally, but talk a little bit about God the Father. Let's spend our time doing that. I'm going to camp right here in Luke chapter 15 with you tonight. And at the end of our study, I'll add a couple of other texts, but for the most part of our study tonight, I'm going to stay right here in the narrative of Luke chapter 15 because this great parable that we often study can sometimes be used in a way that maybe leads us to miss the point because we often would call this parable here in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32 or 11 through the end of the chapter if I were to ask you real quick and maybe you're a student, you could catch on to what I was trying to do to you but if I asked you real quick I said what is this parable about we would all probably say quickly it's the parable of the prodigal son can I reprogram your thinking for tonight and let you think about the fact that it's not about the son at all? Now, in some ways, you can't have the account. You can't have the parable without the prodigal. But friends, the parable is about the father. The parable is about the response of the father to the prodigal. The parable isn't to say, look at how horrible the prodigal is. The parable is about, look how great the father is. And if we miss that imagery, maybe we miss the parable. If we're so focused on thinking about how horrible it was for that prodigal to squander away his father's inheritance, if we concentrate so much on how horrible it was for him to live in such riotous ways, and we so become so engrossed in the idea of thinking solely about this prodigal son, we may miss the point of the parable. Well, maybe you thought, well maybe you're a little further ahead, you'd say, well, no, Brian, you're right. It's about two sons. It's the parable of the two sons. Because we know that the oldest brother in the picture, who did not live as a prodigal, who did not waste away his father's inheritance with riotous living, but he's got his own issues. He's got his own challenges in the picture, and the father's got to deal with those as well. It all comes back to the father. And friends, if you you and I will appreciate... The imagery of God the Father that is depicted for us in this narrative will have the greatest picture of supportive love that you and I will ever see. So let's try to do that together. Let's talk about this parable. I'm not going to read all the way through it. We're going to read through it as we get to it. And so if you would begin with me in verse 11. Luke chapter 15 verse 11. Then he said, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. You say, well, right there the Bible says it's a parable about two sons, Brian. Okay, I'll grant that to you. But the Bible says a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal or riotous living. I can't imagine how hard it must have been for this father to allow his son to make these choices. But you know, there reaches a time for all of us. I I, I believe I was talking to Jacob the other day when we we were at dinner the other night, and I said, one of the scariest things about parenting is my job is to raise my children to not need me anymore. My job is to prepare them and lead them and guide them and hope that they build their own character and faith and relationship to God that they don't need me anymore that they can sustain themselves and take care of themselves, both physically and spiritually for that matter, and that's kind of sobering, and nobody really likes to think about that, but that's my job as a parent. The father in the picture here, though it's a parable, is trying to depict God. And the fact of the matter is, God isn't puppeteering anybody's life. If you're looking for God to pick you up by the hairs of your head and just point you in every direction you're supposed to go and force you into every situation and decision you should make, it's not going to happen. God is going to allow you to make choices. And even as a father sometimes, I have to allow my children to make decisions. All of my children are adults now. All of them are are adults. I I didn't say they were all grown up. I said they're all adults. (laughs) And they make some bad choices sometimes. And one of the hardest parts for me is to let them make that decision where I'm not out in front of them all the time kicking every stone out of the way and and maneuvering the path and and, and manipulating situations so that they never make a bad choice. And the reason why I have to be cautious not to do that is because someday I'm not going to be there. And if every decision they ever made was shaped and formed by me, what happens when I'm not there? To kick that rock out of the way now trust me if they step into sin I'm going to tell them if they step into riotous living I'm going to tell them that that's going to be consequential and that's going to create difficulties for them I'm not saying I'm silent but what I'm saying is I don't make their choices they have free will God the father lets you and I make choices choose wisely God the Father is not going to force you to do what is right. He's not going to make you do anything. We've got to read his testimony and make a conscious decision to make the right choice. And the Father in the parable does the same with his son. He allows him. Now, I want to note with you that supportive doesn't mean we approve. I can be supportive and encouraging and helpful to somebody but not approve of their behaviors and choices and decisions. You don't, have to, you don't have to be approving. You don't have to say, it's okay. Go right ahead and walk in that path of sin. Go right ahead and destroy your life with those choices. It's going to be fine. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is though I can still be there and help and encourage and be the support foundation that they need even though I may not approve of their decisions that they're making. Supportive doesn't equal I approve. Verse 14. But when he had spent all there, he arose, when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. And then when he went and joined himself to a cis, citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. I want you to stop for a minute and think about that. Now, now, again, I, I'm not dogmatic about this. You can stop and have a chat with me on the way out if you disagree with this analysis. But I sometimes we envision the prodigal eating swine's food. I don't think that's what the text said I believe the text said if they had given him some he would have eaten it that seems to me to be the picture I'm just trying to show you how rock bottom this guy got he hit such rock bottom that he would have enjoyed the same food of the swine but no one gave him the text says and I'm just trying to give you one little extra level of despair that this young man was experiencing the only job you could find is sweet feeding swine and that job doesn't even pay enough to feed yourself the same thing you were feeding those pigs. That's how rock bottom this man f- found himself. He squanders away all the things that, that his father had given him. He, he quickly is, is completely empty of all the blessings that his father had granted unto him and he had to learn the hard way the consequences of his decisions friends sometimes if we don't allow people to learn the consequences of decisions they don't learn anything Sometimes, in order to get back to God the Father, sometimes to find that supportive father again, you and I have to realize that my choices have accountability and responsibility and consequences that come because of those choices. And too many times, I'm not going to try to talk too much about the physical family this week, or tonight I should say, but... Sometimes we try to keep our children away from the consequences of bad decisions they don't learn anything from it. All they learn is, is dad will kick that stone out of the way. Mom, Mom, will, Mom will bail me out. And there's never any consequence. This young man received the inheritance and his father said, fine, you want it? Here, he gives it to him. You do with it as you see fit. But when he hit rock bottom... The dad wasn't there just kind of peering around the corner waiting for it to happen, and as soon as it does, he goes over and grabs him and says, All right, son, I'm sorry you had to... We'll fix it. Here's something to eat. The young man was going to have to learn from the consequences of his choices and decisions, and loving families will allow for that to happen. Sometimes we've got to let folks understand and appreciate the hardships that they've created for themselves so they'll recognize a need to reach back to the Father. So they'll recognize that there's something missing and lacking in their life and so that they'll reach to that great father that is there and desiring to bring benefit to them. And while those things are occurring, the father's making ready for the return of the the prodigal. So when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, there in verse 17, have bread enough and to spare and... I perish with hunger. Quick thought. You've heard the expression, the grass isn't always greener, right? Familiar with that? Sometimes we convince ourselves that over there's got to be better. This young man determined that if he had his dad's money ahead of time and could go make his own choices and decisions over here somewhere, that things would be so much better and when he hits rock bottom, he realized things weren't so bad over there. (laughs) In my Father's house, even His servants, even those who serve the Father and work for the Father, they have more to eat than I do. I lived in that environment and gave it up for this environment. comes to himself and realizes this is a horrible mistake and the father allows him to finally come to that conclusion the father didn't chase after him the father didn't just go running and just walk behind him every step of the way he let him make the choices he let him face the consequences and now he's come to the realization i need to do something about it i will arise verse 18 and go to my father and will say to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you And I am no longer worthy to be called your son to make me like one of your hired servants. I want you to think just briefly with me about the idea that if if the young man in the parable, and I realize it's a parable, but it's pointing us to what God is. But if the young man in the parable doesn't think that his father would support the idea of him coming home he'd never come to that conclusion right if he has in his mind that, wow, if I even try to go back home now, if I even try to go back and receive some benefit back home now, if I even try to ask my father, forgive me, wow, it's not going to happen after I've squandered everything that he gave me and I, I've lived such a riotous life and I've hit such rock bottom. If that man has any imagery in his mind that the father would be unreceptive, he doesn't go back. And the point, friends, is God the father with open arms is waiting for you to come back. No, he's not going to chase you down. He's already provided all things for salvation. He's already done everything necessary to bring us hope and forgiveness and remission. God has done all he needs to do to provide that. The answer for us now is, will I come to him? The prodigal needed to make a conscious decision. My father's not coming to me. I need to go to him. All the provisions that the father has are back here at home. And I need to make a decision to get back to my father. But both sides of that, the father needs to be prepared and ready for that. And the son needs to have the confidence that he can do that. Brethren and friend, our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Christ, when they become the prodigal, they need to know beforehand that if I'll come back and be penitent and repent and desire to serve the Lord, my brothers will receive me, and more often, or more importantly I should say, my Father in heaven will receive me. We need to be making sure our loved ones, our erring and troubled brothers and sisters in Christ know that we are welcoming, waiting for them to turn from sinful paths and come and serve the Lord with us again. And they need to know that the Father is waiting. I appreciate the humility of the young man, by the way. He doesn't say, I tell you what, Dad will take me back. I'll just go back. We'll act like nothing ever happened and it'll just be fine. No. He said, I'm going to go back to my Father and say, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against heaven. I'm not even worthy of anything that you might offer me. And all I'm asking is is that you you might entreat me like one of the other workers that you have here around the house. There's a great level of humility upon the young man. His expectations are not what he ultimately will receive. And that's the humility of him coming out in him that maybe he lacked when he asked for that inheritance and left. I'm not worthy to be a son, but maybe I could be a hired servant. verse 20 so he arose and he came to his father but when he was still a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and we would probably say and wrung it but that's not what he did is it he fell on his neck and kissed him You know, again, I'm I'm trying not to be overly dramatic here, but I'm trying to get imagery out of this. And you can't help but wonder, if you depict this parable, how how often did the father gaze in that direction, longing for that day that he would see that, that silhouette, that image of his son making his way back home. I said God the Father won't chase you down and force you to make right decisions, but when he sees you coming to him, he will meet you. When he sees you returning unto him, he will meet you. And he'll wrap his loving arms around you, and he'll kiss you, and he'll embrace you, and he will honor the fact that you have returned to him. It's a beautiful imagery of what God the Father does for each and every one of us. And we don't deserve it. This prodigal didn't deserve it. But it doesn't change the fact that that's what the Father did. And that's what he will do for us. God the Father says, I'm right here. And when he sees us coming towards him, he runs and embraces us and kisses us and welcomes us. Can you only imagine the comfort that moment must have brought to both that this lost son is now found by the father and this lost son has now recognized that that his choices and decisions had put him in such difficulties and such consequences and now he's back in the arms of his father. Verse 21. So the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son." But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The son is restored back into full relationship with the father. Friends, there is no greater celebration than when a sinner accepts accountability for their choices and decisions and comes home to the Father and says, please forgive me. There is is nothing shameful about asking God to love and forgive us. The shame is continuing in sin. But we've created at times a, a, an atmosphere, and I'm not accusing you, I'm, just, I'm talking generically, but we, we've created at times an atmosphere where people are afraid to return because they don't know how we'll react to the sins they committed. And we have even at times, and again, I'm not accusing you, I'm using generic thought, but at times we have even created a hierarchy of sins and we said, we can forgive that pretty easily and that one's not too bad and this one's not too bad either, but whoa, if we get to here. Brethren and friend, there are going to be souls, prodigals that are going to come to us and they are broken as broken can be. There are going to be sins and things that you and I would never even considered or thought of doing. But it doesn't mean that their need of forgiveness is any greater than my need of forgiveness. It doesn't mean that somehow my, in my mind, trivial sins are somehow not nearly as severe or harmful as their greater, weightier sins. Friends, we are all in need and subjects to the supportive love of a father who with open arms says, if you'll just come home to me, I'll welcome you, I'll embrace you, I'll forgive you. And I'll not treat you like a second-class citizen. I'll treat you like my son. I'll put a ring on your finger and a robe on you. And you will have gone from willing to fill your belly with pig's feed to the fatted calf of your father. Supportive fathers recognize this in practice, but I suppose more importantly tonight in our narrative and discussion, we need to appreciate it about God the Father. Restored to full fellowship. My son that was lost is now returned. We need to be ready for that, promoting that, encouraging that, and being willing to forgive and allow for those things to, to be let go. Supportive means we forgive and let go. Look like with me at verse 28. The older brother, well, let me back you up. I didn't read enough of it. Let me go back to verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things mean. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And by the way, a fatted calf would have been prepared for celebration Right, They've been waiting for a moment in order to kill the fatted calf, in order to have this a celebration of some type. It's an animal prepared for that purpose. The older son, verse 28, we're told was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, "'Lo, these many years I have been serving you. "'I never transgressed your commandment at any time, "'and yet you never gave me a young goat.'" that I might make merry with my friends. And I want you to catch something in verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours... Wow. Not as soon as my brother... As soon as this son of yours... Came home. (laughs) Amazing. I I did all these things for you all these years, but this, this son of yours, not my brother, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him? <laughs> Friends, I would surely hope that we would not have an attitude on earth that we would have to play out and try to play out, which we never could, I understand it theoretically, in heaven. And what I mean by that is Sometimes maybe here on, on the earthly side, we, and I realize some some people's behaviors and choices are, are horrible. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe, you, maybe things have been done, said, treacherous things may have been done to you. And I'm not, I'm not trivializing or saying that, that forgiveness is always easy to extend. But it's necessary. It's necessary for us. We can't have the attitude of this older brother who won't even acknowledge that's his brother. He just says, that's your son. He comes home. He gets the fatted calf. I never left. You didn't do anything for me. Can you imagine standing in heaven and going to God? God, why is he here? I lived faithful to you all of my life. I barely made one or two mistakes in 45,000 years of living. (laughs) That guy was treacherous and evil and he finally found a day to come back to you and you let him into heaven. Isn't that the older son? That's exactly the behaviors of the older son. Friends, I would surely hope that we don't have a mindset where we'll be looking around heaven wondering who God made a mistake on. I would hope that we would be just as God the Father is and ready to forgive and, and to let go of whatever it is. Now again, I understand this man came to himself and he asked for the forgiveness. I get all of that. But supportive love says I'm ready, willing, and able and I'm not holding a whole grudges. I'm not going to treat people as secondary citizens. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to embrace them because they've come home to the Father. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. The father, this supportive, loving father, says to the older son, Listen, you've had the greater benefit because you have been able to sustain yourself in the blessings and benefits that I have in my household, and you didn't have to squander it all away to learn that lesson. you've, You've still got your inheritance waiting for you, by the way, he says as well. All that I have is yours. Well, that would be right, even under their cultural law. And by the way, the older son would have got double portion. So when that inheritance was divided, if there's two sons in that picture, the older gets double portion because of the law, so he gets double portion. So he's been sitting on two-thirds of the inheritance all this time. He had been blessed all the while. Why should I begrudge the prodigal when I have been having and appreciating and being honored in the blessings of God all the while? Why would I be upset that all of a sudden the prodigal has returned and God the father has granted unto him the same blessings and benefits that I never had to leave in order to appreciate? So friends, there's two ways that we can learn from this parable. One is the prodigal needs to recognize the consequence of decision and come home to the father. The other lesson is, you don't have to live like a prodigal to appreciate the blessings of the father. The older son never left. And he was experiencing the supportive, love and kindness and blessings of his father's father all along. I've ran into some folks that think that they have to live riotously to understand what it's like in order to come back to God. No. No, you don't. There are two ways to basically learn anything. You can learn things by experience or you can learn things through education. Right? That may be oversimplified, but it's really right. Now, if you're talking about how to work on a motorcycle or or work on a water line or be a welder or something, I grant you that experience is going to be necessary to gain those skills. I get that. But you probably have some education before the experience. And when it comes to spiritual things, friends, sometimes it's just better to learn. It's better just to be educated of what the warnings God gives and where he says if you choose that, it's going to have consequences. and You're going to hurt your life if you do that. You're going to cause trouble for yourself if you make that decision. God's warnings serve to keep us away from becoming the prodigal. I just assume learn that through education than experience. My dad told me, you may not want to stick that pair of tweezers in that electric socket. I'll take your word for it. Right? The experience might teach me a different kind of lesson, but I'll take your word for it. The older son needed to appreciate that. He didn't have to be feeding swine. He didn't have to have an empty belly. He didn't have to experience who knows what with the kind of living that the prodigal was living. He didn't have to experience any of that to appreciate the love of the father. I would suggest to you that minus the attitude the older son had, that's the better path. (laughs) It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother... Notice the father corrects him. The older son said, that son of yours, the father says, your brother, was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I believe that is the perfect picture of the supported love of the Father. It's the perfect picture of what every every person needs to appreciate and know about God the Father. Does God the Father have anger and wrath? Absolutely. Has he brought judgment against people and nations and situations throughout biblical history? Absolutely. Does all of those things mean that I have to face the anger and wrath of God? No. Because he's also loving and caring and receptive to those who will be penitent and to acknowledge their transgressions before him. Let's appreciate the blessings without having to live like the prodigal to know that the God of heaven loves us. And so I ask you tonight, if you've left him, if that's you, will you come home to the Father? And John wrote and recorded for us in 1 John 1 verse 9, John records for us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that exactly what the prodigal did? He said, I'll come home and tell my father that I have sinned against you and against heaven, and that's exactly what he did. Friends, confession, again, Sometimes we have a misconception about com- what confessing our sins is about. Confessing our sins is not about informing God. Confessing sins is about being accountable to God. God already knows. You're not, you're not, if, I, if I say to God, well, I committed this or I did that, well, I'm not informing him. He already knows what I've done. He already has seen it. All things are open unto him. All things are as if we're just wide open to the God of heaven. There's nothing being hidden from him. So what confession is about is for my benefit, not God's. Confession is about the benefit that it brings me because now I've owned it. God, I did this. I did that. You've already witnessed it and seen it. I did that. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I need a cleansed heart. I need a renewed life. I need to step back into your promises and blessings again. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, we're told that God is the God of all comfort. Is there anything more comforting when we have just lived outside of the laws and structure and commands of God and we finally realize it and we come home to the Father? And that weight of sin that we've been walking with is just lifted away. Andy asked me the other day whether I played any sports. I told him that in high school that I was part of a basketball team. I don't know that I necessarily played basketball. I watched a lot of games from the front row. (laughs) I was a bit slow for my coach. And he thought he could correct that by putting a 30-pound weight jacket on me and making me run stairs in behind the gym. I could barely run without the extra 30-pound weight. (laughs) But you know, it was amazing how fast I felt. Now, notice I used the word felt when I took the 30 pounds off. When I would go run those stairs with that 30-pound weight jacket on me and I would run and it would just be exhausting. And then he'd say, okay, Price, because that's what everybody called me. (laughs) Okay, Price, take take the weight jacket off now. My, I just felt like (laughs) it's free. Friends, that's what sin's doing to you whether you acknowledge it or not. It's weighing you down. The Bible says the way of the sinner is hard. The world keeps telling you, "Oh, it's easy. It's easy. It won't be. You'll be fine. It's easy. It's not. And there is nothing more, nothing more comforting to just come to the Lord and take that weight of sin off and say, thank you. And lay it at the feet of our Savior. The comfort that comes from God and to experience it when we're forgiven of sin do you believe in God do you believe in his son do you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life do you believe that do you believe that God loves you yes even you and I sinners those who have transgressed the will and purposes of God, do you believe that God loves you enough to have his arms open and run and meet you halfway and hug and kiss your neck tonight? Do you believe in that God? A supportive and loving God who wants to forgive, who wants to cleanse, who gave his only begotten son to make that possible for all of us. And if you seek that comfort and help and assistance tonight, we encourage you to think soberly about the opportunity that's been granted. And if we could help you, strengthen you, pray for you, guide you back to a loving Father, or help you find remission of sins in baptism tonight, don't don't wait another moment. Know the love of God in ways that maybe you've never experienced before. Take the weight of sin and put it at the feet of the Savior and walk cleansed and know the relief of that moment. And if we could help you do that tonight, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?